On Sunday morning, the dirt track world lost one of the best to ever be behind the wheel of a late model, Mr. Freddie Smith. Our prayers and thoughts are with his family and fans, and his legacy and impact on the sport we love will never be forgotten. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Do It John Dirt. I'm your host, Evan McCrory, and today is episode 48. Uh, thanks for all the views and everybody uh, giving me some feedback on last week's episode with Jake McLean. I know there's a little bit of um, problems with the intro of it. It put in the wrong like little piece that I put in for the beginning, and it was just messed up and I didn't notice it till the next morning. That's on me. I'm going to double check my stuff a little bit more. But I have an awesome episode for you guys today. I am going to be talking with Dave Dusick. He is the owner-operator of Racetrack Engineering, doing a lot of behind-the-scenes work, uh, like control tower type stuff in the racing industry. He has done anything from Formula One to NASCAR to dirt racing to even like snowmobiles and some cool stuff like that. We had a really great conversation just about the racing community, race life and race life itself, uh, what it means to really be yourself and be the best you, and uh, just much more. And I really hope you guys enjoy this interview. It's one of my favorites I've done, being honest, and he's a really awesome dude. And yeah, after that, we're going to talk about the Thunder Bomber Classic at Traveler's Rest. That was on Friday and Saturday, and another two-day event, the fall finale, the Battle of the Belts at East Lincoln Speedway. Let's talk to Dave. Today's guest on the Front Wheel Drive Friday Hotline is live from the BU bus somewhere in Texas. Dave Dusick, how you doing? Hey, buddy, how are you? Well done. Well, good, perfect introduction. <clears throat> you got to keep it short, but there's a lot to describe you to somebody that's never seen you. A lot of my fans haven't seen you, or maybe they've heard the name, but they don't know who you are and what you're about. Uh, can you give me a brief introduction of what you do for a living and just a little bit? brief introduction of how you got into motorsports well uh b brief is the hard part i'm not known for my brevity but i'll do the best i can uh i don't know man i guess i'm just that funny looking guy that seems to show up at racetracks all over the world and uh i was um i, I don't know this is 2023 and i'm 46 so this is my 42nd year of the sport i grew up born and raised in indianapolis uh, grew up racing quarter midgets like so many of us, you know, go-karts, quarter midgets, uh, you know, outlaw carts. And then was fortunate to um, to get an engineering degree and work at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway for 25 years. So um, that's sort of the foundation of my career. But in my free time, I uh, I spend a lot of time at the dirt tracks because uh, that's, that's where my heart is. Why are the dirt tracks your heart when it comes to all the different types of racing you've been around, whether anything from, you've told me before, snowmobile racing to IndyCar, sports cars, NASCAR. Why is dirt track racing your heart to you? You know, that's an interesting question. I got to be careful because all my other friends from outside the dirt world <laughs> get mad at me. But um, you. <laughs> you know, really, the community in dirt track racing is just really special. Um, I think whether it's late models or sprint cars uh, or, or bombers or modifieds, um, there's something about dirt track racing. Um, I don't know if it's the low barrier to entry. You know, it's a lot less expensive to get into dirt track racing than other forms of the sport. Mm -hmm. So that gives it a purity. Um, and don't get me wrong, you know, the late models and sprint cars are silly expensive now. But um, there's just something that speaks to me. I'm a racer at heart. Um, I love all forms of racing. Like you said, we've done some really cool stuff. But, um, man, there's nothing that beats a dirt track on a Friday night. In fact, I just went to my buddy Greg Holmes' Baton Rouge Raceway in, in uh, Baton Rouge, Louisiana on Friday night. And uh, they had 95 cars, and it was just a, a weekly show. And it was just some of the most fun I've had in a year. <laughs> yeah, I, I saw your stories about that where they – they're like, yeah, do you know how to work this thing? And it was the time and scoring. You're like, yeah, of course. And then just kind of did it for the night. Is it kind of fun, yeah, like, taking had, that step back a little? a score that, uh, that did really well, but I just, you know, it helped out. I gave a few pointers here and there. So no. A fly attracts to the light always, anyways. <laughs> That's yeah, I exactly, think. exactly. I, I always, I, these days I show up wearing shorts and sandals and a t-shirt trying to be incognito, but uh, no, man, it's one of those deals when you've, when you've been around as long as we have, uh, if you can help out, you know, that's the goal. And honestly, that's the thing now is, you know, we've been fortunate to make a living in other forms of the sport. So mm -hmm. when we go to the dirt track races, it's just about making the sport better and strengthening the sport. Um, I think this sport 
um, has a lot of opportunity to grow, but we've got to reverse this trend of negativity and we got to start building a community back. And um, so that's kind of my goal when I go to these dirt tracks. Yeah, that, that's been honestly one of the biggest parts of what I've been trying to build with doing which on dirt. And me and you, I talked to you right, right when I was starting it back in February of trying to build the positivity and like the family sense of it again, where everybody just likes to get so segmented and just let hate really grow between people and little things happen. Like when you're in a family, you're going to have little things happen, but you can't let that create walls and borders between people when you guys are really very similar. Like whether it's a rival in your class or you have a problem with a promoter or someone at the track, it doesn't have to be that big of a deal. It's like, I know that I know that's easy to say, but it, every everybody's one big family and that's what I'm trying to do. I'm not trying to really stir up a bunch of drama. Yeah. If I see people throwing hands in the, <laughs> like in the pits, I might catch it on camera if I end up doing it. But if uh, I'm going to tell both of them that they're stupid in the end and to make up, I, I feel like, well, well, that's the thing, right? Like, I mean, look, man, and competition and passion is going to breed some disagreements and things, but we got to realize that, like, it, it, the thing that always was interesting to me is, for me, it's about perspective. If two people race head-to-head against each other on the same racetrack every Friday or Saturday night, they're competitors, right? Mm-hmm. And, and they're competitors, and they're the big fish in the small pond. But then, say those two same race car guys go run a traveling series, and they travel outside their little small pond, and now they're small fish in a big pond, and now they're helping each other because they're the only ones each other knows in this pit area that's a lot bigger, full of bigger teams and, 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 and you know, uh, and more people. And, and for me, it's all about that perspective. Like, yeah, carry the passion, have the passion. That's what we love about this sport. But at the end of the day, if we don't have each other to race against, if we don't have racetracks to race at, if we don't have sponsors to help pay for the expensive, you know, things that it takes to make cars go around the track, then we don't have anything. And in order to do that, we're going to have to help each other out more than tear each other down. Yes, I agree. And I believe another part that also involves that is trying to influence the younger generations and younger, younger kids coming through to be able to, have dirt track racing as something that they could do their entire lives like their parents or their grandparents has done. And with like tracks closing slowly over time and more bigger corporations buying the properties and big high rise hotels at certain places and stuff like like just land development being a big thing and kind of being a part of people would call it a demise of racing, which uh, me and I think dirt racing is doing fine in certain, certain senses. Anybody can agree with that, but I feel like, we need to cultivate this dirt track racing and make it better than we got to it. Leave it better than you got to it. No, that's you're exactly right. And I, you, you hit the nail on the head and like I said, we don't need to go down a rabbit hole too bad, but, yeah. <laughs> but the truth is a lot of these racetracks and a lot of these promoters, you know, they're, um, they're, it's a lot of work. It's a lot of work to run a racetrack and you're not getting rich. Uh, despite what people think, you know, um, insurance is expensive and, and costs are high. Um, higher than they've ever been and you know the truth is if if i'm working my butt off um and i'm i'm not making a lot of money the only reason i'm doing it is because i love it Mm -hmm. because i love the community i love the people but if it gets to the point to where the people are, are not loving and 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 all you hear is hate and all you hear is negativity and all you hear about how is how bad of a job you're doing then what are your what's your motivator right you're not getting rich you're busting your butt and everybody everybody's mad at you like you know what there's 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 no reason to run a racetrack at that point you know you do it for the camaraderie you do it for the people and you do it for the family and the community and i think that we all need to be reminded that it's a gift it's not a right it's a gift to get to be in this sport and if we don't start appreciating the gift we have we're going to keep losing the opportunities to uh, to enjoy that gift I fully agree with you there. It, talking about like the racetrack promoter and owner side of it. Great podcast. I reckon you probably heard or at least saw a little clips of it was Ashley Hoffman Burnett's episode with uh, Motorsports and Business with Kelly Earnhardt Miller and Mike Davis on the Dell Junior Download last week. She's the owner operator. You know, you know who I'm talking about. She's the owner operator yeah, at Millbridge Speedway, and it was a amazing insight to me. That's not on that side of the coin to really understand the, all the planning and the prepping and how like spread. I wouldn't say spread thin, but how like wide you have to cast your net to be able to run a facility and a good one at that. 
No, you're exactly right. I, uh, Ashley and Jeremy are great, great people. Actually, uh, our mutual friend Kelly Carlton and I mm-hmm. uh, promoted a, uh, a, a racetrack roundtable. Uh, I mean, I think Kelly said it was like 14 or 15 years ago back at the old IMIS show. And Ashley and Jeremy showed up, and they had pen in hand, and they were ready to take notes and ready to learn. And this is when they first started, and they have busted their butt and given everything they have to that racetrack to make it successful. And um, and they've had great success. And there's a lot of kids that have come out of Millbridge who have professional motorsport careers. You know, the biggest one right now is Brent Cruz. But mm-hmm. there's so many kids that have come out of there, and um, and and it's all because of the work that Ashley and Jeremy have done. But again, that you know, it's a it's a full time job, and um, and it's a thankless job. And uh, and we need to be we need to be thankful for those promoters. And look, I know that not everybody's great as good as Ashley and Jeremy mm-hmm. are, but but the bottom line is it's a lot of work, and uh, and we, we need to appreciate those guys. Yeah, I, I fully agree with you. There's there's good racers, there's bad racers, there's good promoters, there's bad promoters, there's good track officials, there's bad track officials. There, you find good and bad in everything, but everybody has their own story. Everybody has their own perspective on anything, like you were saying a minute ago. But uh, speak about your story a little bit. Um, you you said earlier you're the weird-looking guy wearing the sandals and the shorts and stuff at the racetrack. Kelly wanted me to ask, uh, how did you get your unique appearance? Ah. That's uh, I, that that in itself is another long story, but we'll make it real, real short. Um, I was uh, born, and shortly after, about one year old, thirteen months, I was diagnosed with a rare cancer, um, in my cheekbone. And uh, the long story short is, I was given fifty percent chance of living six months, um, and that was roughly forty three years and six forty six years and, and six months ago. Uh, but um they they threw the kitchen sink at me, is what I like to say, and then they hit me. <laughs> <laughs> um and uh no they they basically they 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 lots of chemo, lots of radiation, lots of treatments. But you figure my head as a baby was probably the size of a of a big softball or a little bit, a little bit bigger than that. Mm-hmm. And, um, long as they, they, they killed the cancer, but they also killed a whole lot of stuff inside my head. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, that includes a lot of the cells, uh, on the right side of my face. So between then and now, um, as I grew, my body grew, but that part of my face didn't. And so as a result, I got this scrunched in kind of crunchy face. Um, and, um, and you know, it's really funny. There's a lot of people that talk about and ask me if I was ever bullied or if I ever felt like I, I didn't belong. And it's crazy because I grew up in this sport and I never once felt that way, man. Like I never, ever felt different or out of place. It wasn't really until I got to college that my friends started like making jokes about it. Mm-hmm. And then it kind of came out that we talked about it. And then, and luckily I had some really good friends at college, but, um, it's just really neat how, I've been in this sport my whole life and everybody that knows me, you know, just accepts me for who I am. And very few people until we created the Dave Dusick foundation several years ago, very few people ever knew what happened to me, but as racers, nobody cared. Everybody Mm -hmm. just loved me for being for who I was. And, um, and that's a, a beautiful thing that again, goes back to the unique community we have in this sport, man. Like I, this sport has loved me my whole life, despite the fact that I, that I'm different. Yeah. yeah. When I first met you back at the Winter Freeze at Scriven back in February, uh, of course, uh, um, you, you I'm, I'm trying to think uh, how how I felt then. It's like, just, I'm like oh, that's not really. Okay. There's, there's nothing wrong. It's, 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 you got to well, talk about it. Now I'm like, this dude is really interesting. Like, not just like he has a unique appearance and that's like, I, I want to learn more about him and uh, more. I talked to you through that long night uh, till three, three and three, four AM in the morning of SCDRA heat races. I get to learn that you're one, a, a brilliant mind in the sport of racing for being able to work behind the scenes of things you've been doing your entire life. And that if people from afar, people in public look at you, they're like, Oh, that could that dude might be weird because he looks like that. Like, but when you actually get to talk to somebody and learn about them and find out who they are, you don't even notice it or see any physical appearance because you're like, that's my friend. I know what they're about. I know who they are, and it's just a beautiful thing you're able to see in racing because they're focused on what they're doing. They don't care what you look like as long as you're a good person to them or help them out in some way. And that's definitely one of the cases for you. 
Well, I, 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 I don't know, man. I, I, I definitely, I, I, I for sure think that growing up in this sport is what gave me the confidence and the ability to just to, to be who I am, you know, and, um, and the fact that this community has rallied around me. Um, in 2009, we created the Dave Dusick Foundation. And through uh, more than a decade, you know, we raised several hundred thousand dollars for the Children's Hospital that saved my life in Indianapolis. We used to have the big event at PRI show and the racing community came out in waves to support that. And um, it just goes back to, you know, there's so much noise on the Internet. But if we look for the good in this sport, it exists and it's out there. And there are stories like mine, all of these little pockets all around the the country. And um, and we should all be. I am grateful to be a racer and uh, we should all be grateful uh, to be racers. My my life is a gift. But but the fact that I've gotten to live my life in this sport is um, is really maximized the value that gift. Yeah. Um, you have the, you have the quote that I see you use all the time and your little Instagram videos and Facebook videos, you post a lot about being the best you and you drive the BU bus. What does be the best you mean to you? Well, in reality, it's kind of what we just talked about, right? Like (laughs) everybody, everybody has insecurities, right? Everybody looks at the mirror and sees something in themselves that's negative, right? And the problem is that most people hide those insecurities deep inside them. Most people don't talk about them. We don't bring them to the table and we don't discuss them, right? Well, fortunately for me, my insecurities are on my face, right? Not everybody looks like they got bashed in the face with a baseball bat, right? Not everybody's given the chance to have to overcome those insecurities. And don't get me wrong, I got other insecurities inside me too. But, um, but, But the bottom line is, because of the love and support of the people around me, I've been given the encouragement to just be me, right? This world and this sport supports me and and, and loves me even though I'm funny looking, right? So mm-hmm. the whole idea of Be The Best You is show the world your true self. Look in the mirror and say, that's who I am. I'm okay with that person. And don't be afraid to show that person to the world because you'll be surprised that when you do, the world's going to understand and the world's going to appreciate your unique things and they're going to love you for it. And by the way, whatever it is that you think or that you feel when you lay your head down on that pillow at night or when you look in that mirror, I guarantee there's somebody else in the world who's thinking and feeling those exact same things about themselves. But until you talk about it and until you embrace who you are you'll never know and you'll never be able to have that conversation and those things will always eat away at the inside of you and that's not good man we gotta we gotta talk about it and we gotta we gotta embrace who we are and 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 just love ourselves first i agree with you there i'm 22 years old and i've almost 23 and i've had insecurities almost my entire life and until like certain point which I, everybody kind of acts to who they're around in high school or other things most people do and then once you get out of that and you realize that that doesn't matter and stuff and you really start finding out who you really are and you really start acting it makes you as more comfortable with who you are as a person in general and finding your interest even more than the people you're around then when you really start being by yourself more and stuff when you're in uh becoming an adult and that that's really what's put me back into racing full-time. I've felt like I grew up as a full-time race fan and then slowly drifted away from it and other sports and other things I was around. And then honestly, like two, three months after I uh, graduated, got back into racing. Uh, Six months later, went to my first dirt race. And then I've been on the ground running ever since for the last four years. And I could like, yeah, I still have worries here and there in life and stuff about things I can't control. But I am happy in knowing what I'm doing and what I'm doing, being able to help out the dirt racing community and try to help grow it and be able to put out content and things that I enjoy. And I hope others do, too. Well, that's that's I love that, man. I love that you I, I told you this when we met you know, back in the spring um, that I, I love your passion and I love what you're doing. And um, and, and I and I know that this, this sport will support you for that. And, um, and it's great that you, that you have this, this, uh, outlet to, uh, to express your passions and to be around people who are like-minded. And, and again, I, you know, I'm a broken record, but, but it's the, the core beliefs I have that, um, 
whether you go to the racetrack as a fan or whether you're an official or whether you're a racer or you work on a race car or whatever it may be, um, you are really fortunate to be surrounded by people who are like-minded and think like you in a community full of good people. This sport is a community full of good people. And um, I suppose at the end of the day, a lot of be the best you is taking the things that I've learned in our sport and trying to share that with the rest of the world because mm-hmm. then it, it, it's sad. There's a lot of people out there who've never experienced the joy and the camaraderie and the passion that we get to experience on a weekly basis, you know? Yeah. Uh, that's a hundred percent a part of it. Like I won't, there are some races, some nights I won't remember barely anything that happened on track, but I'll remember conversations. I'll remember people I talked to or certain things I saw and that, that will make it worth it to me sometimes. Like, I love the on-track racing. I love everything about it. It's one of my favorite things in the world, but conversations and relationship and people are just up there just as high. Oh, absolutely. And what they are is they're lasting memories. And yes. I, I, it's crazy, but I'll, I'll tell this real quick example. Um, so I'm, a, I'm a currently on drive from Charlotte, North Carolina to Phoenix, uh, Arizona. We did the Charlotte race with NASCAR at the Roval a couple weeks ago. And, uh, and we're going to, we're going to do the NASCAR cup finale in Phoenix with them. Uh, so I'm driving the bus from Charlotte to, to Phoenix. And along the way, I decided to stop and see some friends and I stopped in South Carolina and I see Kelly Carlton, who's obviously a, a dirt racing late model legend. I end up in Baton Rouge, Louisiana to see Greg Holmes. Um, I haven't seen Greg Holmes since we worked the, the, IMCA Nationals at Texas Motor Speedway 15 years ago, mm. and now I'm on my way up to see Dean Mills, who's a, a, a really, really phenomenal, one of the best, if not the best, videographers in dirt track racing history. Um, I'm on my way to see him in Dallas, and then I'm going to, to, to Phoenix, and I'm going to spend a week at Jason Babiak's house, who he's the promoter mm-hmm. uh, and the, the sponsor guy at Wild West Shootout. The point is, I'm literally staying in these people's houses. And some of these people I, I, I met 15 years ago and I haven't seen since. Some of them I only see once every five to seven years. But they invite me into their house and they welcome me into their lives because we're brothers, man. We're family. And we don't have to see each other every week. Um, and that's a it's a gift, man. And I know this is it's probably boring to listen to and it's a, re- a broken record. But the, But the recurring theme is, man, we are fortunate to be in this sport for sure. Yeah, I know you keep saying you're a broken record and this is going to be boring, but the people that need to hear this and want to hear this will, (laughs) being honest. I know this isn't the type of episodes and conversations I usually have with drivers about how'd you do that weekend? How'd you feel about your car? How'd you really start racing? How'd you buy that car? All that type of stuff. But we need these type of conversations sometimes, and it's really good stuff that I think people need to hear. And that's why I wanted to get you on. And the reason why I've been wanting to have you on just finally, I uh, saw you posting, you want you, you had like your little list or your little checklist of uh, stuff you're doing during your trip and you had podcast recorded zero. And I'm like, okay, I need to make that one. But <laughs> Yeah, um, you're it. You're it now. Well, I'm gonna have to flip the page, and if we ever get this "Be the Best You" podcast off the ground, yeah. we'll, we'll spin it around and do the same with you. That's good with me. I would love that. I've had multiple people uh, that I've had on that have wanted to start a podcast or have started one after that uh, want to get me on, and I'm like, yeah, that's that's one of the biggest parts of it. Whether just just being a part of that family in general, like you help me, you come on my show, I come on yours. Yeah, you do something for me, I do something for you. It's just part of it and I really enjoy it but to jump over what you said uh during your last bit a minute ago you were working the race at Charlotte for the Charlotte Roval the playoff race and now you're traveling to Phoenix for the finale that will be first weekend of November and so when you say you're working the race uh, I'm assuming that's with racetrack engineering and what are you doing behind the scenes at the track so um uh, yeah racetrack engineering is our business and we I've been fortunate to work in race control uh, for just about every sanction and series through the years from, uh, from, from road course racing to MotoGP to Formula One and, and then obviously down to the dirt track stuff um, back in the day with timing and scoring. Um, we recently have started helping uh, NASCAR. We did the Chicago Street Race with them, mm-hmm. and we provide what we call video officiating systems. Um, for the big races, um, essentially um, – we provide additional angles in addition to the television angles that are specifically for race control to help officiate and expedite the racetrack operations. So it may, may not be officiating, um, at at the Roval, we were testing some new, some potential new officiating technology, but a lot of it is just 
for the track safety personnel. You know, if the guy who's leading the pace car or the guy who's leading the safety trucks can see the scene and he knows what he's got before the trucks get there, he can better prepare those trucks. And then as they're cleaning up and as they're they're getting ready to, to pack up and go home, he can tell the race director, hey, I think these guys will be good. Let's go one to go next time by, right? Yeah. And it becomes more it becomes a more efficient show. So obviously the NASCAR program is a, a well-oiled machine in my opinion. I've known those guys for a long time. But um but after we worked together at Chicago, uh, we somehow convinced them to let us hang out for a couple more weeks and uh, and continue to provide some alternate angles. So uh, nothing nothing technically official, and this is I think the first time we spoke about it publicly. But um, but yeah, it's it's cool to work with those guys. They're they're a great group of guys. Yeah, I, that is really interesting stuff that I kind of like to think about and kind of try to understand with that uh, that part of it, like who like uh who's telling the safety guys what they're coming up into and uh being able to relay back saying yeah we're good to go just that whole process of the stuff you just told me you're working on is very interesting to me like that i feel like that'd be something i'd be interested to work on eventually down the road but uh yeah, uh, with, I know you worked with IndyCar and you were a part of race control for the Indy 500 for a long time. How is uh, you started off at Indy uh, like during college, if I'm correct? How did that relationship with Indy go into you working as race control for the Indy 500? Well, it's uh, right place, right time, and, uh, and 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 a little bit of that, a little bit of luck, and a lot, a lot of hard work. Um, and I know that sounds cliche, but um, I was fortunate to grow up in a sport like so many people. Um, I grew up in quarter midget racing, but I always had a knack for the operational side. So when I wasn't driving the race car, I wasn't off playing with my friends. I was up in the tower learning, or I was announcing, or I was in the flag stand, or I was on track, and... I just so by the time I quote unquote retired from quarter midgets at 15, I had a lot of racetrack experience, if you will. And then I ended up in engineering school and, um, you know, through some relationships and whatever, I ended up with an internship at the Indianapolis 500. And then from there, uh, was just very passionate. Um, we were fortunate to, we installed video boards while I was still in college. And then we did some PA system stuff, but then the race control stuff came about, um, it, right time, right place. I graduated college in 99 and started full-time in, uh, at IMS in the summer of 99. And in the fall of 2000 was the very first Formula One USGP in Indianapolis. And so I was there and was a fortunate to be a critical part of the development of everything it took to build the F1 race control and to build F1 tire barriers and all that. And so, um, through being right place, right time, I, I wound up in race control for, uh, for Formula One. And then I ended up in race control for every event. So I got to work with NASCAR and IndyCar and IMSA and, and um, MotoGP, Formula One. And, um, and that was really a phenomenal stepping stone for my career, if you will. That that's an awesome that's an awesome story of how you progress through it and it's and it's inspiring people how you can start at the bottom level of just being able to get an internship and be able to build that through the last 15, 20 years. Uh, very specific odd question when it comes to you said you're working on the Formula One uh, race control when they were doing the GPS there. Were you there in two thousand five when they had the whole tire issue and only had like three four cars run that event? I, I, I was, I was, um, I actually was, that was fortunately one year I was not in race control. Mm. Uh, I had left IMS as an employee and was coming back as a contractor and, um, and our, our contract at that time was specifically audio related. So I was actually, um, out on the grounds and I'll never forget that day. Probably one of the scariest yeah. moments of my life at a racetrack because, I thought there was going to be um, a large scale riot. It was it was a very interesting time for sure. Yeah. Th any any specific stories or anything like you remember from that when things got really intense, right when that race was starting, especially during that like parade lap or anything? Well, so one thing that my boss, the great Kevin Forbes, who actually designed the Indy Road Course and a lot of other racetracks back in the day, he taught me that. There, there are certain things we should talk about and certain things we shouldn't. Gotcha. And I know that, that podcasts are supposed to be the area where we where we maybe share little, little tidbits that we shouldn't. And I, I probably have been known to do that. But I'll just say this, that um, 
my dad always said, believe none of what you hear and half of what you see. And I always try to explain that that's a race control rule in general, Mm -hmm. that as a racer, you see things from a very unique perspective or from a fan, you see things from a very unique perspective and it's race control's job to see things from a global perspective. And it's race control's job to keep everyone safe across the board, right? That they're less concerned about the 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 sum or the, the individual and more concerned about the sum and the whole. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of times decisions are made and things happen that we don't always understand. And my rule of thumb is if something happens that I don't understand, my first instinct is to assume that somebody somewhere knows something that I don't. And that something is the thing that led to the decision that I don't understand. So the first thing I do is try to understand and gather as much as I can information before I make a a, a judgment. Um, And I know that's kind of a that's a bogus answer to a a, a specific question. Uh, But the truth is, there was a lot of things in play that day. And, um, and unfortunately it just, it didn't go well. Yeah. I I was a little too young for that. I was probably four when that happened, but, uh, how that kind of came to mind for me was, uh, there's this racing YouTuber slap shoes and he did a amazing video on that race, uh, called the worst F1 race ever, the 2005, uh, United United States Grand Prix at Indy and went into decent detail about, about a 20 minute video talking about, uh, the tire, different tire manufacturers, the design of the course, the new surface they had on any of the time. It was really interesting. It kind of perked my ear when you uh, mentioned it. Those are high profile things that, that belong in, in other pro, high profile conversations. But I will say this, I was in the room a few years later when we had a similar issue with Goodyear and IMS um, for NASCAR. And I don't remember what year. I'm guessing 09 to 11, probably in that range. Um, and we had a different effect. The guys in NASCAR, without, again, going in and, and giving away too many details, they diligently worked to ensure that we had enough tires on the ground. And they took a holistic approach to the point to where if, if guys went out of the race, they would go take those tires and use them for other teams. And basically they salvaged the best they could a race that day instead of, um, instead of deciding to, you know, instead of having an effect of kind of what we did at Indy that year with, with F1. Um, and it was really interesting to be a part of that and to see, and it just goes back to, um, the decisions and the things that happen inside that race control room are always, it's, it's crazy because I've been in race controls, um, around the country from top to bottom for the better part of 20 years. And there are still things that happen when I'm in race control that I've never seen happen before. It is the craziest, most intense, um, think on your feet job that I've ever seen. That, that's awesome. I, I love that part of it where you have to like make the split second decisions and kind of it's up to you and the people you're with in that room to make a big decision. These huge events, especially when you're dealing with all the biggest um, series in the world and Indianapolis, which hosts, in my opinion, pretty the biggest event of the year, really, with the Indy 500. And that's just cool, unique experiences. Like you said, you're just learning and see something different every time you're in that booth. And just, and you got to be able to deal deal with that, process that information rapidly, and then make a decision. It's just something remarkable that I don't think many people can do. And you have to be built for it. It's really cool, and some of the best race directors are are phenomenal human beings. I had the fortune of working with Brian Barnhart, who was the longtime IndyCar, uh, Indy Racing League IndyCar race director, who who became a great friend. And his ability to understand the race as a whole. If there's 33 cars in the 8500, you know, he understands at lap 85 what's going to happen on lap 185. But he doesn't just understand that for one car; he understands that for all the cars. And and he's The the comprehension level, what I always say to people who don't understand racing or race control is air traffic control, right? Their Mm -hmm. job is to make sure that there's hundreds of airplanes in the air and air traffic control's job is to make sure those airplanes don't crash into each other. Race control's job is the opposite. We're trying to stop all of these race cars from crashing into each other, but lo and behold, they're gonna because you know <laughs> racers are dri- dri- race car drivers are driving them. Mm-hmm. And so then, not only do you have to try to stop them from crashing, but then once they do crash into each other, you've got to manage that. 
and um and and it's a really it's a really unique job and i i I challenge every racer or race fan out there if you ever get the opportunity to stand in a tower or to be behind the scenes and see what it takes to put a race event on do it because you will be amazed at how much work goes into just making 25 or or 15 cars go around the track for 30 laps like it's uh it's 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 a really neat thing to be a part of for sure i learned that when i was in the winter when i was at the winter freeze with you back in february just standing in that booth 10 15 feet away from seeing kelly and travis and uh, all his people the scores and even the announcers right beside them just make everything happen and it's really something special to see like you're saying if you have the opportunity do it um but I think we've done enough blabbing for tonight. I'm definitely going <laughs> to have you on again. Uh, but one last question that Kelly asked uh, asked me to ask you was, uh-huh. what does pals mean to you? Like you hold a lot of, um, the word pals is special to you. What does having a pal mean to you? Now I'm going to cry. Oh, no. Um, uh, OKC, okay, um, I love that, man. You know, it's, oh, how I, there are, in, in our sport, we know a lot of people, like I said, mm-hmm. and, um, and I, you know, I don't know how many Facebook friends, but it's, it's well into the, you know, six or 7,000 and I have great friends around the country, but there are this small little group of people. And I think we all have them, um, but we don't always stop to appreciate or to recognize them. And, um, and, and Kelly is the type of person that he's just honest and sincere and authentic with everybody that, that he comes in contact with. And there's something about he and I that we, our hearts were connected the very first time we met. And he, he can tell you exactly when and where it was, you know, 15, 17 years ago, whenever it was. And, um, and now we've got this little group of guys we call ourselves the dirt track delegation it's it's, it's really just a text thread of four of us uh kelly carlton jason babiak and uh and george greg mary and uh we're all dirt track guys we all love the sport we all have vastly different backgrounds different roles and um and different thoughts on how the industry works but together the four of us are just like this little wolf pack and um and we love each other more than anything we and and they're my pals, man. Like they just, it's that, it's that circle. It's that really small circle that means the world to you and you do anything for them. And, um, and again, I know that I'm not alone when, um, when, when I talk about pals, you know, we, everybody in this sport, we've got relationships that are so deep and so strong. And, uh, I'm just glad to be a racer and I'm going to get Kelly Carlton back for making me cry on a podcast. (laughs) I know you'll probably call him after this <laughs> and get to him. Be like, man, why are you making me cry on this? Yeah, I was just having a good conversation. Then you, then you get the waterworks coming and all that stuff. But Dave, man, yeah. it's been it's been just awesome having you on the show tonight. I've been wanting to, like I said earlier, I've been wanting to do this for a while ever since I met you when I was really starting the podcast and stuff. And definitely going to have you on again. Uh, where can people find you on social media? Keep up with the BU bus and everything you're doing. Oh man, that's uh. Well, I appreciate you, man. It's I really enjoy. I'm getting to be an old guy now, and and I really just enjoy talking about life and um and and trying to make life a little bit better for all of us one day at a time, right? Um, and so I appreciate you embracing that and 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 letting us step outside the box a little bit. Um, and, and if there's anybody that's still listening. Uh, and you want to follow along on the crazy adventures, uh, at Dave Dusick on all the socials, D-A-V-E-D-U-S-I-C-K, uh, or just Google who is Dave Dusick and the rest will, uh, the rest will come to fruition. (laughs) Yeah, that's awesome, man. Uh, I hope you have a good, safe trip for the rest of the way out to Phoenix and, uh, I'll be talking to you soon. Awesome. I'm going to run inside this Bucky's and get me a brisket sandwich and get back on the road. Big bucking sandwich. That's the way to go. That's I, Every time I go into Bucky's, I get that the big-ass Bucky sandwich, the big-ass brisket one. That one that one hits the spot every time. doesn't matter how far I'm going. But uh, have uh, a good night, buddy. Bucky's is an oasis yeah. for us, us guys on the road. So <laughs> it is. Appreciate you, man. Thank you so much. Yes, sir. Have a good one. I really hope you guys enjoyed my interview and just talk I had with Dave. It was awesome to just learn more about his story, just growing up, uh, how he did in racing and just 
his whole story throughout and how he feels about the dirt track racing and just racing community in general. And I'm definitely going to be having him on in the future. Uh, just a really awesome dude. And uh, I hope you guys check him out on social medias and keep up with what he does because he does a lot of cool stuff. But uh, getting past that, we're going to go over this weekend's results starting. Everything's starting to wind down just a little bit. The only stuff we had for our series of tracks this weekend was the fall finale at East Lincoln Motor Speedway. I don't know why I couldn't think of East Lincoln for a half second. I'm going to go over the results. I have an opinion about one of the classes, one of the results, and you guys kind of expected me to talk about this a little bit. And then we're going to talk about the Thunder Bomber Classic. That was at good old... Travelers Rest Speedway, and then just let you guys what we what, what we have coming up this weekend of the 20th and 21st, and just let you guys know what will be happening. And yeah, um, I really uh, appreciate you guys tuning in for this week's episode. I know last week's was about two weeks late or two days late, and I appreciate you guys uh, kind of just waiting for it. And yeah, let's see what was happening at the fall finale East Lincoln on Friday. It was just all the heat races stuff. No actual feature races were ran until Saturday night. And let's go over that. In the Renegades, it was Brad Williams winning in a 14-car field over second place Brandon White and third place Ronnie White. Paul Visage was fourth and fifth was Dylan Sigmon. Their 13 cars started. One did not start and that was Josh Harris in the 83. Pro 4, here's what I wanted to talk about. 20 lap feature, it was won by Cody Verbose. Cross the line, uh, and then he was disqualified for something he said in victory lane. Uh, I'm not going to quote it absolutely verbatim, and viewer discretion is advised, but you guys know this podcast already. I'm just going to say the words. He said in his interview, it was an emotional interview, his, it was the one-year anniversary of his grandmother passing away, and he's been chasing to win that event for his entire career. And he had finally done it. And he said, uh, we've built one hell of a fucking race car. I don't know about the other guys, but they can suck it. And I just see that dude just proud of what he has been able to do. And he got disqualified for that. And I don't know the whole situation that happened after. But uh, the winner that got declared was his good buddy and guy he, guy's house he used to race out of. It's one of his the guy he looks up to as a father is Adam Vandiver. Uh, congrats to Adam for being declared the winner. I just assume he gave Cody the stuff from winning pretty much. Uh, second place ended up, well, third place was Dan, Danny Henning. And then my hand was Jonathan Warlick. And around the top five was Randy Powell. Shout out to Stephanie Cottle being uh, finished in fifth uh, after the DQ. I, I don't know much about the actual race that happened. Uh, you can go find the race on YouTube with Brooke Sigmund's YouTube channel. But Jerry Oliver was also disqualified. That's been Cody's biggest opponent over the past couple of seasons. And that was about a whole altercation that happened under caution with Jerry hitting him. I don't know what happened before. I don't know what happened after. I was just giving you my point of view and how I saw things. But that's enough for the Pro 4s. Thunder Bombers, your winner was Justin Truitt picking up another belt. Uh, I believe this is his second belt. I'm not too sure, but uh, I believe he is the only person this year to get a crown from the King of the Carolinas and a belt from the fall finale. So that's a cool accomplishment. Uh, and, yeah, congrats to Justin for getting that. Second place was Matt Coley, and third was Ronald Pope. They had a 14-car field. Actually, last place was Jason Navy, who was the guy who flipped in the Pro 4 race at Carolina the week before. Cool to see him in different cards. I don't know too much about him. And then we go over to front-wheel drive. It was today's Doomwich driver of the day, Dallas Griggs. He won his second career front-wheel drive victory, I believe it is, over Ray Tony. Third was Austin Medlin. Fourth was Alan Wyatt. Fifth, Charles Jones. They had a 14 or 17 car field, 14 finished the race, 15 started. Uh, last place was Isaac Sosby, who got disqualified in the 696.2, and then two that did not start, which was Greg Boston and Tuckins. Next Gen Kids was won by Bentley Cottle. Second was Colton Somm. Third was Alex Galloway. Fourth was Grayson Coley. Fifth, Braden Somm. And sixth was Kim Souls. Nice little field for them. You don't, uh, They don't have too, too many cars a lot of time. I'm just happy to have kids out on the racetrack learning uh, how, to, how to do it, and that's really cool. 
Uh, same thing with the ladies. Samantha White picked up the victory. She was the winner over Lindsay Dyer and Heather Marie Bettenbaugh. And let's just all the ladies, because I appreciate them being on track. Keitha Martin was fourth. Caitlin Blackburn finished fifth. Addison Lacey finished sixth. And Valley Rivera, Valley Rivera was seventh from Vail, North Carolina. In the LS sprints, they only had three entries, weak, uh, weaker field. I'm just hoping they're able to get more cars for that or make it a uh, race saver 305 series for next year. I feel like that would work out better, but I don't, I don't know the situation fully. Dylan Thrower was the winner. Second was Jackson Wellman, and third was Stephen Wren. And to finish off the action at East Lincoln, it was Stephen Herring picking up the 21-car field victory and the belt in Pierce V8 over Chandler Barker, A.J. Palladino, Bundy Stowe, and Chris Smith in fifth. All 21 cars started with last place being Weston Kearns. And that is it for the East Lincoln Fall Finale. We're going to jump over and check out what happened at the Traveler's Rest Thunder Bomber Shootout. Thunder Bomber Classic, excuse me. I had to relearn how to spell travelers there. For some reason, that word's uh, difficult. But uh, yeah, uh, uh, spelling's hard. <laughs> and Friday night, they had a... I know they had one feature, and that was Extreme 4. That was the all-star invite-only classic for the front-wheel drives. They had 12 cars consisting of Hunter Anthony, Dale Bennett, Trent Blackwell, Tyler Capps, Justin Harris, Ricky Hill, Joey Kelly, Travis Langford, Cody Page, Caden Presnell, Dean Riddle, and Wayne Taylor. Good mix of young, young up-and-coming guys, SCDRA regulars, and just uh, the SIA guys that are just really strong in the Carolinas. And the winner of that event was Ricky Hill in the 56. Second was Trent Blackwell, third Wayne Taylor, fourth Justin Harris, and fifth was Dale Bennett. The two did not starts were Joey Kelly and Hunter Anthony. And jumping over to Saturday night, where they had a lot more racing, a little bit more, because they did qualifying heats for Thunder Bomber and Crown Vic. And actually, they did three features for Crown Vic. We're going to go over those first. Crown Vic feature one was won by Justin Watts. Second was Jason Ledford. Third was Charlie Meanders. All 15 cars started that one. Feature two was Chris Hill in the 747. Second was Peter Roach. And third was Jason Ledford. And they had four that did not start from that, so I guess, and they racked it in the first feature. And then Super Feature 3, they had two that were disqualified. So I guess they had eight start. That would have been Ledford and Watts that were disqualified. And then the six cars that finished go as follows. Sixth, Josh Ayers. Fifth, Tyler Bennett. Fourth, Peter Roach. Third, Charlie Meander. Second, Mark Chandler. And first was Chris Hill, who won the last two features. And two did not start were Matt Gilbert and Chris Meander's. And Pure Stocks, their winner was Dustin Morris. Second was Josh Ayers. Third, Bradley Williams. Fourth, Chris Nations. Fifth, Dwayne Worley. Sixth, Jason McGrew. And seventh was Grant Burton. Not a bad little field. And then in the 27-car, 60-lap Thunder Bomber Classic, it was Tyler Geis in the 47G picking up the victory over Hot Rod Rod Tucker. Third, Madison Hoots. Fourth, Dustin Morris. Fifth, Donnie Atkins. Sixth, Trenton. Travis Jameson, not Trenton. Seventh, Jason Edmonds. Eighth, Brandon Satterfield. Ninth, Kevin Nations. And tenth was Mark Tao. They had 19 cars start the event. Last place was J.J. Williams. And do not start was Grant Parr in the 48. Uh, cool little event at Traveler's Rest. Uh, let's see, I don't see any other events for us here, but I know they'll have a little bit here and there. So keep up with their Facebook pages and their website and social medias and that stuff and see what they got coming up. And the only two things I am aware of that are on my schedule for Do Much on Dirt, which relates with East Lincoln Speedway, Cherokee Speedway, Carolina Speedway, and then my four series, is Cherokee has a full field qualifier or a qualifier for the World Crown Nationals. That's going to be the last weekend of November. Let's check out what Cherokee has going on. And obviously, if you want a more in-depth analysis of what they got coming up this weekend, go check out my buddy William Richards' podcast, Cherokee Chattered. Get you up to speed on everything Cherokee. Give you a lot more information. They will have the Faith Funderburg Realty Renegade Sportsman. They will have Sharp Mini Late Model Series Racing as a qualifier for World Crown. Pro 4, doing a full field qualifier for World Crown. 
the Southern Vintage Series, Terry Worley Pure Stocks, the Smokin' Mountain Boys Barbecue Extreme 4, Lynx Enterprises Crown Vicks, Timeless Classics Young Gun V8, and the Young Guns Front Wheel Drive. That's that's cool they have the two different Young Gun Front Wheel Drive. I'm, I'm interested to see how those uh, work out and see what the car counts are for those. It's going to be pits open 430, gates 5, hot laps at 645, and racing at 720. It will be 30 for the pits, 15 in the stands, drivers meeting at 630. And then after that, 10 days later, uh, is going to be the prelude to the finals with 7,500 to win for the 410 sprint cards and the Mid-East Super Late Miles. Apparently, they're also going to have some stock cards. Let me see if I can see um, which division it is. Renegade Sportsman's. They will be paying 1,000 to win, 50 to start, and then 500 to start for each of the two bigger divisions. And that night will be gates open at four, pits at three, hot laps at seven, racing 730. Uh, I plan to be doing it on location there, and we'll just uh, see what everything's looking like coming up. And then let's head over to our boys at the Carolina Sprint Tour, where I will be hashtag doing on location at Sumter Speedway for their series finale. Last week's guest, Jake McLean, is the points leader over Brianna Lawson. It's going to be their track or treat event, and this is a makeup date from August 26th. It's going to be 1,000 win for the Sprint Tour, 2,000 win for our GM Performance 602s, and final points race for the late models, Super Streets, Street Stock, Thunder Bomber, Mod 4, Extreme 4, and Econo 4. Gates will open at 3. The track or treat will be at 4.30 if I am correct. I, I'm pretty sure it is. And then hot laps at 5.30. It's going to be cash only for the grandstands or the pits. $20 grandstands, kids sent under are free, and the pits are 35 And if you do have your wristbands from that event about two months ago, you'll be good, like me. So uh, come check out some of those events. Uh, if you have any other races around you, try, try to go check them out. I know it's getting a little chillier, but uh, just bundle up, wear a hoodie. Don't be like me and forget to bring a hoodie to Carolina, so you had to buy a hoodie for an event you weren't even at. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Greg, for looking in your truck for uh, – Trying to get me a hoodie. Appreciate it. <laughs> yeah, I, I meant to mention that last week. It kind of slipped my mind. But uh, I think this has been it for this episode. Awesome episode. I appreciate you guys tuning in making it this far. And, yeah, don't forget to follow Do Much on Dirt on all social medias at D-U-N-E-W-I-C-H on Dirt. Uh, trying to hit 1,000 TikTok followers by the end of the year so I could uh, do some live streams at Sumter this weekend. Uh, not really going to do a bunch of cars on track because I would like people to keep up with my uh, updates on X, Twitter, whatever, or be there in person since uh, they don't have a live stream partner and I don't want to take gate money and stuff. But that's a whole other deal we can talk for at a different time. I appreciate you guys tuning in for this week's episode, and I hope you have a good one. Welcome to your one-stop shop for some of the best dirt track racing coverage in the Carolinas and beyond. We feature the SCDRA, the Carolina Sprint Tour, the Carolina Clash, and the Ultimate Super Late Models. Hear from some of the best personalities in dirt track racing. This is Doomwich on Dirt.